0: Welcome back to another incredible episode of the Love Your Bod Pod. I'm your host. I'm Kara Carencefeli. I'm a certified health coach. I help people heal their relationships with food and their bodies and this is a podcast all about health at every size, intuitive eating, food freedom, body wisdom, female empowerment, uh, diet culture and my goal is to help you all feel at ease around food, comfortable and confident in your skin. I want to help you detach your worth from your weight. And I really want to end fat phobia in our culture. As you guys know, I had an eating disorder for 10 years. I uh, have an episode where I chat about my journey, my 10-year battle. Check that out. I think it's like episode 28 or 38. And I'm so passionate about educating and spreading the word about the harmful nature of fat phobia because the socio-cultural idealization of thin bodies is the best known environmental factor for the development of eating disorders and that's according to NIDA the National Eating Disorders Association and you cannot idolize thin bodies without automatically implying that fat bodies are bad or a problem and that is aka fat phobia. So that is one of the really important messages of this podcast as well, being an eating disorder survivor and wanting to help people who struggle with disordered eating and dieting as well. We know that dieting is a huge contributing factor for eating disorders too. So that's what this is about, this podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in today. If you are enjoying the pod, we leave a ratings and review on iTunes or share it in your Instagram stories and tag me. That always helps keep the podcast going. You can shout it out on Twitter if you want. I'm at Kara Corinne, Kara with a C and Corinne is C-A-R-I-N. C-A-R-A-C-A-R-I-N is my Twitter handle. I'm I'm on there a little bit. I'm trying to use it more. But anyways. Today, we have an awesome, awesome, awesome episode with Dr. Yami. She is a board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, national board-certified health and wellness coach, author, podcast host, and professional speaker. A passionate promoter of healthy lifestyles, especially the power of plant-based diets for the prevention of chronic disease, she founded VeggieFitKids.com, where she provides information on plant-based diets for children. She also hosts the podcast Veggie Doctor Radio. She obtained a certificate in plant-based nutrition, is a certified food-for-life instructor, and a Jack Canfield Success Principles Certified Trainer. She is a fellow of the American American Academy of Pediatrics and a diplomat of the American College for Lifestyle Medicine. Dr. Yami owns Nourish Wellness, a pediatric micro practice in Yakima, Washington, where she lives with her husband and two active sons. Her book is entitled A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. Now I was a guest on Dr. Yami's podcast Veggie Doctor Radio. Go check that out. And I loved her message. I bought and read her book and I knew that I wanted to have her come on to talk about intuitive eating and raising your children. So if you're a mom or a soon-to-be mom or an aunt or an uncle. Or a a parent of any kind, you have kids in your life and you've been curious about how to support your kids in maintaining that intuitive relationship with food as they get older. Because it's really hard to not be exposed to diet culture messages, you know, the good food, bad food messages, the fear mongering about like sugar and all of those things. And so how can we support our kids in being intuitive eaters? I get that question all the time. And seeing as I'm not a parent, I think my ability to answer it is limited. And I'm pretty straightforward with that. I answer the question to the best of my ability based on having been a kid, because we've all been a kid at one point, right? And I'm really excited to have Dr. Yami come on here today. She is someone who believes in health at every size as well. And I really love that she is a health at every size physician and really promotes that message as well so it's a fabulous fabulous episode Um, and then the one little caveat that I want to say here is that while I'm a fan of plant-based eating and so is Dr. Yami. I know that for some people veganism can be a disguise for their disordered eating, veganism can be a disguise for your eating disorder. So by no means am I saying that like plant-based eating is the way to food freedom, I know that for some people it's not, it's individual. So I just wanted to add that in there in case there was any confusion or any assumptions being made, being made about um, plant-based eating. Obviously, we know fruits and vegetables are, are nutrient-dense foods, and we want people to enjoy and eat those in a way that is truly, truly nourishing and not restrictive and disordered. So, all right, I love you guys. I hope you're having a great day. Thank you again for tuning in, and let's get into today's incredible episode with Dr. Yami. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. Today, we have an incredible guest with us. Her name is Dr. Yami. She is a health at every size pediatrician. Dr. Yami, thank you for being here today.
1: Kara, thank you so much for having me. This is such a pleasure and such a pleasure to be talking with you again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So for those listening, I was a guest on Dr. Yami's podcast, Dr. Veggie, Veggie Dr. Radio. Y'all should definitely check that out as well. Um, Yeah. I'm totally excited to have you back on here. We, I haven't had a pediatrician on before. I've had a lot of people ask me questions about like raising children as intuitive eaters. So I'm just like, so excited for you to share your expertise with us today, but Before we dive into like what I originally had planned, I'd love for us to just like actually chat about the state of the world right now. We're in the middle of this coronavirus. You are on the front lines as a healthcare provider. Thank you for your service. Can you just tell me like what's going on for you in your world? How are you feeling? Just, yeah, what's your take on stuff?
1: Yeah, well, thank you for asking. I mean, this is just such an unprecedented time just like I was telling you before we started recording, I never thought that I would be considering these questions in my mind about true sacrifice. You know, you think about police officers and firefighters, definitely people that serve in the military. They're called to serve and they're called to serve to a level that sometimes they may lose their lives. That never came to my mind as a physician. I've made lots of sacrifices as a physician, you know, studied like basically my whole life you know miss so many parties and all kinds of social gatherings family gatherings and stay up late having to do all this stuff but now I'm being exposed to a virus that could cause me harm and has a pretty significant mortality rate and I feel like as far as I go, you know, I'm a pediatrician. I've been able to limit, I have a micro practice, which is fabulous. So I just have a very small panel, I own my own practice. So I've been able to limit patients coming in, and talk to them over the phone, do telehealth. So my exposure is actually quite low. I feel like my risk is low, but my husband, who is the director of his hospitalist program, He's been working every single day, seeing patients almost every single day. And these are the sickest of the sick patients. So his risk is higher. Thank goodness he's super conscientious and he's a very detail-oriented person. And thankfully at our hospital here, we're in Yakima, Washington, They have plenty of PPE, which is the personal protective equipment. Um, And so they have not run out of that. And I feel like he's being well taken care of by the hospital and the organization. But it's still something that's causing me anxiety. You know, I'm just like, oh, please God protect him that he doesn't get this virus. And that if he does, that he doesn't get super sick from it, you know, because it's not something that I've ever had to consider before as a physician. But that all being said, I'm glad to serve this way. And I, with this happening, I've realized that this is truly my calling because in my heart, when I say, okay, am I willing to make this sacrifice? Yes, I'm willing. And I'm willing to go in there with my heart open, love and support my families through it and help give anybody I can out there, encouragement and support through these really hard times.
0: Mm, Yeah, I feel that I'm really moved by that. Thank you. And Yeah. Sending so much love to your husband. I didn't, I didn't know that he was the director at the hospital until you just said that. So like, wow, I can really imagine like, this is so real for you and you are in the front lines and I'm someone who's just like at home in my house, like cooped up limiting my news exposure. And so our experiences are so different right now to a large degree. So just thank you for your service. And also what a gift to really be present to how alive your purpose is right now and how clear you are because I feel like sometimes we can go through life and not actually really know what we're here to do or or who we're here to serve. And so in some ways that's beautiful to be able to have really solidified that for yourself.
1: Absolutely. And I feel like it's through these times of uncertainty that we get the most clarity because whenever you're in a situation, you're like, wow, I never thought this was going to happen in my life. I, this, all this stuff is happening you're thinking about mortality it just suddenly makes everything clear what is important why am i here who do i love if everything got taken away what really is essential to me what is essential to my happiness and my joy and my well-being this is the time that we can explore those questions because this kind of situation makes it clear i I really love that perspective
0: and I, I believe you and I agree with you and I really think that this is an opportunity to actually really get clear about what matters to you in your life. Where have you not been living the way that you want to live? And like you said, this supports you in seeing what really matters, what's really important to you. And it's very possible that like this uncertain time, like you said, is going to create a lot more clarity for people moving forward with like how they decide, how they choose to live their lives when things go back to quote normal, so to speak, you know?
1: Yeah. And I guess I have just one more message because I feel like this was like downloaded to me this morning (laughs) as I was waking up. (laughs) And that is, I really want listeners out there to consider... What you would do if you weren't afraid to share your gifts, because now more than ever, it's a time to share our gifts. You know, like I spent when I was younger time where I was ashamed of my ability to be loud and to communicate and to feel like I needed to tell people things like I felt like that was a bad thing. But now I'm seeing, oh man, that's a wonderful thing. I can communicate with my families. They love it. I I love being in front of the camera. This is not anything to be ashamed of. What is your gift and how are you being called to serve? Is it, cooking delicious meals for your family or being able to teach your child or just being able to reassure them and hug them Or are you one of the police officers firefighters that you're essential personnel right now and you're being to call called to serve in this way It could be so many different things and there's not one thing that's more important than the other. I think we're realizing that right now how we're all interdependent. We think that some people have like more gifts or more talented or whatever, but everybody has something that they can share. And I think that becomes clear in this kind of situation. So just consider what would you share with others if you weren't afraid to share it and to be yourself? Mm, love that.
0: Yes. cosine. Love that. Love that. Love that. I'm not even going to add to it because it was so perfect. <laughs> totally love that for people. Um, okay. So let's kind of like dive in and, and go into... A little bit about you, your your background. I'd love to hear about your relationship with food and your body growing up. And tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a pediatrician and then eventually being someone who, adopt, um, who adopted sort of the health at every size paradigm and incorporated that into your beliefs and your practice. So just tell us all about you.
1: Okay, awesome. So I'll start with saying that I'm still on my journey and I still continue to evolve and grow and change and learn and and develop. But I've wanted to be a doctor since I was very little, between three and four years old, can't exactly pin it down, but somewhere in that time. So it's been a passion of mine and kind of my sole focus for a long time. And, but when I grew up a little bit more, when I was in early school age, I started to receive messages from my family and perhaps also my physicians. I know for sure from my family that my body size was not acceptable, whether it was not aesthetically acceptable or whether it was not seen as healthy. Um, I just know that I was being seen as someone who was too chubby and that I needed to do something about that. So I went on my first diet when I was nine. And that really started almost three decades of dieting and poor body image. And really to the point where I don't know if I could have ever been formally diagnosed with an eating disorder, which is one of the criticisms I have when it comes to medicine and our need to like categorize and check boxes and be like, okay, you have a true eating disorder. But I feel like whenever something lead you to the point where you're willing to end your life over it, that's not a good thing, you know, so that is, that is disordered and it'll never, nothing is ever worth it to end your life. And I felt like because I wasn't thin enough, because I couldn't keep weight off because I was struggling with my food and my body that sometimes I was so depressed that I considered just taking my life. So that's not a healthy place to be and it took a long time between you know trying different diets and and finally when i was just so frustrated and i said this can't be the way i go on with my life and i think my breaking point really was after had adopted my second child my first child is by birth my second one is through adoption and he came home and i was just like binge eating so much that I was just really uncomfortable and I was irritable and I was irritable with my kids, irritable with my husband. And it really should have been a happy time. Like I had this beautiful family. I had my career of my dreams. I had my house, I had everything, but I was so miserable. And that's when I hit my rock bottom. And I'm just like, you know, life is going to be better for these people. If I'm not here, I had those thoughts and now that I look back on it, it's just a scary thing to believe that. And thank God there was part of my brain that was able to step outside and be like, you know, you believe that, but I just don't think that's true. (laughs) So I got help at that time. And after I saw my primary care, I started some therapy. I actually got a coach, a coach that worked with women that had Binge eating and uh, bulimia and those kinds of things, and that was the first time in my life that I had started to consider not losing weight, which was really wow, really (laughs) uncomfortable, right? Because pretty much I'd convinced myself that the purpose of my life was to lose weight and get to a certain weight, um, and After I started working with this coach, I got rid of my scale and I started practicing intuitive eating at that time. And, you know, the story doesn't end there. It's been a bumpy path, but over time, even though there's times when I succumbed to that, that need, that old habit to diet, I have. I'm not going to lie because it, it has been an extended journey for me. Slowly over time, I've learned more and more strategies to be able to honor myself, honor my body, be comfortable with my body, even when it changes and it fluctuates, and stay true to intuitive eating, and then learn to apply it to my children. So that's why I became so passionate about this, because my goal as a pediatrician is not just to keep children healthy and to prevent chronic disease but really one of my goals in life is to decrease the prevalence of eating disorders disordered eating and just plain old body dissatisfaction because i feel like it steals life away from people it steals their light it steals their talent and their energy that they can put into so many other beautiful things in life instead of being focused on their body and their size Why don't we help kids be comfortable and accept who they are, learn how to eat in a health-promoting way, of course, Mm -hmm. but also learn that there's no black and white, there's no good or bad. How can they trust themselves? How can they be confident in their food choices and in their bodies so that they don't spend all this time thinking about it? Instead, they can use that energy for other more wonderful things that they can contribute to this world.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. And I'm curious, as someone who went through medical school, and we've talked about this on the podcast before about how there is a lot of institutionalized fat phobia in the medical system. And sometimes the place where people experience the most weight stigma, the most discrimination, the most shame for their weight is the doctor's office. And as a child, you felt like you experienced some of that as well. So I'm curious, just going through medical school, knowing what you know about like the health at every size paradigm, what did you learn or what do you feel like could change or or, like needs to be changed around the use of the BMI or around how we talk about um, obesity as a health crisis, a public health issue? I just love to know like your stance and where you're at.
1: Well, it's a huge issue. (laughs) I was thinking quickly in my head, oh my gosh, it's going to take some time. So I think the best thing is for people to realize that when it comes to things like medical advice, it takes 15 to 20 years for ideas and recommendations to change. So it's likely that it's going to be a few decades that doctors are still saying, you need to lose weight, it's healthier. You need to lose weight, it's healthier. Not even asking you whether you're already feeling great or even checking anything. They just look at your BMI and say you need to lose weight. I I do want to give a little credit to doctors though because I know that as a physician, I've obviously changed my mind on a lot of things that I was taught and we're just doing the best we can and we have the fear of God put in us too. I mean, like literally when we're training, when we're reading these textbooks, it says, you know, this, this, and this, it'll say something like a person with this BMI has this much increased risk and basically they're going to die. So we truly, we truly care about our patients. It's not that we're just trying to make you feel bad. It's that that's what we've learned. That's what we believe. And we really do think, that this is the right way to do things. So it's going to take some time before doctors get the message that maybe it's not the right way to do things. I would say that the majority of doctors too probably haven't been on diets or haven't, they don't know what that's like. They don't understand. Or if they do, they think that there's like this magical way of eating that's going to fix all of that and not make you, you know, obsessed with food when you're trying to restrict food. They don't understand the psychology behind it. They just look at numbers so I don't want you to hate doctors for that, but I do know that it's going to take a lot of time. Now for pediatricians in particular, we're very focused on weight and size because as soon as that baby comes out, what's the first thing we do? We put the baby on the scale, <laughs> you know, like we, we are weighing kids every single visit pretty much. We're very focused on it because we are ensuring proper growth. I do address this in my book And I address this with parents because parents have a certain mentality when it comes to size and they're very attached to size. And this goes both ways when it's for babies, parents actually want their babies to be big. (laughs) That's what they think is healthy and successful (laughs) is big babies around 75th percentile. Most parents, that's like the magic number. They want their baby to be around 75th percentile. And then they're afraid of their kids being too small and they're doing something wrong and they feel ashamed or guilty or like, you know, they failed in some way. So in pediatrics, we tend to be a little over-focused on numbers. And I try to guide my families and my parents to not be so focused on it, to just see the child for the individual that they are, that's really, their size is directed by their genetics mostly. And so being accepting of that and supportive of that and not trying to make your kid bigger or smaller, instead following the principles that will ensure that you give them the habits for lifelong health and well-being. And it takes a while because we're very focused on numbers in in pediatrics. And hopefully over the next few years with advocacy of people like me that understand health at every size, we can start to help pediatricians focus less on these higher BMIs and instead talk about habits and behaviors and not like your child is too fat or your child is too big or whatever. They need to lose weight because I think that that's very inappropriate. But it's just going to take some time. And it's Mm -hmm. frustrating, especially in the plant-based world. And I think we talked about this a little bit um, when I recorded for my podcast is I feel like in the plant-based world, there's a lot of pressure to be thin because there's this idea that as soon as you transition to a plant-based diet, you're automatically going to get to your ideal weight. And when people don't do that, they feel like they've done something wrong or something wrong with their body. And then there's definitely people experts in the plant-based nutrition world that feel like that person is probably lying. Oh, you're sneaking oil somewhere or you're eating processed food somewhere. But guess what? The human body is incredible and fascinating. And there are some people that really are that efficient. And I know that because I've started being more open and aware. So really I think intuitive eating health at every size, this is the way to go and hopefully over time, more physicians and more experts are going to also adopt these principles into how they help their patients and clients.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love that you brought in a little bit more of the behind the scenes of just how long it does actually take for new information to make its way through the education system, for new books to be written, for new policies to be taught, and for doctors or or those that are in medical school, right. To have access to new information of doing things differently. Like it just like, like you said, it just takes time. It's going to take years for there to be a bit of a paradigm shift, especially when that's how they were taught. So like you said, doctors are, they care about their patients. They're not meaning to cause harm. And like you said, they might not have ever had experience with disordered eating, eating disorders or body shame themselves. So they might not understand the impacts that that can have, like just being told to lose
1: weight. And and it's all about what's in our consciousness, right? So if there's all these people out there saying, I can help you lose weight because this is going to make you healthier, and that's all they see, that's all they have in their consciousness. And what's really interesting is I recently became certified in lifestyle medicine, so I took my board certification for this, and I was reading all the literature and reading all the studies preparing for my certification exam, and there is so much research out there About the health benefits of physical activity. And this doesn't have to be like running marathons. This is basically just going out and walking 30 to 60 minutes a day. And how, if you compare people, no matter what their body size is, if they do this physical activity, it pretty much puts them at the same risk level as everybody else. Nobody ever talks about that. They say, yes, you should move, but also you need to lose weight. But it's, it's, really so powerful. And what I believe is that there's definitely going to be people in this world that are going to be larger. And it's disappointing because there's so many of us that have grown up with this need or this desire, I guess, to have a smaller body. And so we don't want to, we want to be those naturally quote, naturally thin people, but there's, we're all different sizes, you know? And so there's some of us that just have more efficient metabolisms but we can totally have the health and well-being that we desire if we follow habits that lead us to that you know habits and behaviors and it's not about perfection either it doesn't mean you have to eat kale all the time you know so um, i think that whenever we start learning more about that and get more research about that hopefully that'll help the health professionals kind of chill out a little bit and when people become more empowered to start rejecting the thin mentality and more and more people reject it, that will raise the consciousness of that being an option. Because if you look on social media, you look on television, you talk to your doctor right now, the consciousness is everybody should and needs to be thin, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to add that little piece.
0: Yeah. it's It's a huge paradigm shift. It's a massive paradigm shift to go from you need to be thin to be healthy. To you can actually engage in health promoting behaviors that will improve your health outcomes regardless of changes in weight. That's like an entirely different message, you know. And I'm really glad that you're sharing that with us here. So let's let's chat about kids, parents, intuitive eating. Um, I I guess before we go into that, I'm actually curious. You had said. You had shared this with me either today or when we were talking off camera about how your, the way that your mom, t- your mom struggled with like dieting and her weight as well. Yeah. And so did my mom. And so we know that parents are hugely influential in their children's body image, their children's relationships with food. So what advice would you have for parents or future parents who want to really support their, their child in having positive body image and, and maintaining intuitive eating? What advice would you have?
1: That's a great question. And my advice is you are the best role model for your child. So, if you want your child to learn and you want to encourage and support their intuitive eating and healthy body image, you have to learn how to do it too. And it doesn't mean you have to be perfect at it. My kids know I'm not perfect. My kids know I still sometimes freak out about certain foods. Like, I literally, and I have to explain to them, like, I'm freaking out about this right now, (laughs) you know, like, and they understand because I've had that history and I explain it to them. So you don't have to be perfect, but in order to model that for them, you're going to have to start practicing some of these things and believe it for yourself as well. That's something that you want to adopt into your life. And if you can't completely do it, then at least don't discuss the desire to be thinner or dieting in front of your kids. And absolutely do not encourage your child ever, 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 ever to go on a diet, please. Mm. So much passion for that. Because I mean, really, that's the number one risk factor for developing an eating disorder is dieting.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for those of us who who are you know in 2020 and and don't like the word diet and think that it's a dirty four letter word and they're like it's just a lifestyle or I'm just trying to eat healthy, what would you say to that? Like what what are the fundamentals of a diet? Even if you don't think you're dieting or you don't want to call it a diet.
1: So I have to confess that I've fallen into this trap. Like I said, it's been a bumpy road, um, you know, for about eight years when I first. Talked with that coach. I've convinced myself of that at times. You know, just like, oh, you know, I'm just doing it because it's for my brain health. And specifically, I'm talking about intermittent fasting. I'm one of those all or nothing sort of extreme people. So, you know, intermittent fasting is all the rage right now. And there's a lot of people that talk about how it's really important for your cellular health and (laughs) all of this stuff. Well, you can convince yourself of that, but really if deep down inside, you're hoping that it's going to help you lose weight, it's a diet. Okay. And you just have to be honest with yourself. You're the only one that knows for sure. Nobody can tell you and you could tell other people, Oh no, I'm doing it for this. But if deep down inside, you need to close your eyes and dig deep. If you're doing it because you're hoping that you're going to lose weight from it, it is a diet and it can get out of control really fast. And I'm a living Testament to that. (laughs) Cause it's happened to me several times. So I have to be really careful because there's times that that sneaks in for me too. Like I'll see something, i will be like, Oh, I want to try it. But really if I get still, I know that it's because I still have that glimmer of hope somewhere that it's going to help me get to that thin fantasy, you know?
0: Mm, Yeah, And
1: and you know, that can persist for a long time. And I know I knew that I was getting in trouble with the intermittent fasting thing when uh, my son started skipping meals, which you know they're they're young and really it's it's not something for children. And so I realized, oh wow, what am I modeling? What am I really teaching them about what's important to nourish our bodies in a healthy way?
0: Mm, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's key. Like if if you are making behavioral and lifestyle changes whether it's changes to food, exercise, with the hopes of weight loss, then at its core, it's a diet, regardless of any of the other things. So moving on to like chat more about raising intuitive eaters, you have your book out, which is fantastic. You are someone who is passionate about the health at every size paradigm. You're passionate about intuitive eating, but you also really care about health and not Having people develop chronic illness. So, can you share with us how do you balance the two? You know, it's really easy to think that intuitive eating is just like eating donuts all day. And you're someone who is passionate about plant based eating. So, just like share with us the nuance of it and how does it all work together?
1: Yeah. And I think that's why I needed to write this book is because I do have a little bit of a different perspective. Health is important to me. And like I said, I'm a board certified lifestyle medicine physician and I've Always been very interested in preventing chronic disease. And we do know, we have plenty of research to show that what we put in our bodies can increase our risk of disease or can decrease our risk of disease. However, it does not have to be all or nothing, it does not have to be completely black and white. So it is a delicate balance, and it takes time and it takes practice to get it right for you and your family. But, you know, I learned about plant-based nutrition about eight years ago. This all kind of happened all around the same time, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like too many things exploding in my life at once and not just plant-based nutrition, but eating whole foods as opposed to processed foods. However, even though I think that that's a super healthy way to live and eat, I know that we live in a world In which whole foods and ultra processed foods exist together. And our kids go to school and they go to birthday parties and they're out in this world where all of these foods exist. So we can't just be like, you can only eat this kind of food, this is the best thing, and everything else is going to kill you, because that starts polarizing foods, that starts giving foods either a positive or a negative charge, and that can lead to disordered eating. So I think it's about being gentle, having discussions with your children about what foods can give them benefits, what foods have less benefits, but they have their place. I, I am totally the first to admit that I love myself, the vegan donut. Whenever we go to the big cities, you know, here in Yakima, we don't have vegan donuts. So good and bad about that. But, you know, we go to big cities and we can get ourselves those processed foods. We all enjoy them. But... I teach my kids to tune into their bodies after they have these foods. And they know that if we ate vegan donuts every single meal, we probably wouldn't feel that good. And so then they can learn how to regulate themselves. They're gonna go out into the world, they're gonna leave my house at some point and they're gonna have to make their own choices. And I want them to be trusting and confident in themselves because they've had so much practice while they've been under my roof that they can make those choices that support the well-being and the health that they want to have. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot about letting go and trusting and trusting your child and
0: trusting that they can listen to their body and like. Yes. And I think when you try to like control too much, you end up separating your child from that natural attunement. To those inner signals. So could you speak to that a little bit? Like, what are some of the things that like you recommend that parents um, try not to do or try to stay away from like some of the languaging? How do you go about fussy eaters? Like, let's get down to some of the nitty-gritty like realities. I'm not a parent, so I'm gonna just like share what I've heard, but like, you know, let's get into some of the nitty-grittiness.
1: No, this is a great question. And I think a lot of parents struggle a lot with this. In my book, I talk about Ellen Satter and the division of responsibilities, and this is something that I repeat like literally all day long to my parents, and I have to reassure them and remind them about that because we live right now in a culture in the United States that's been passed down through a few generations that we have to control our child's eating, otherwise they're not going to be healthy, and this goes for children of all sizes, okay? And then the division of responsibilities basically is that you as the parent have certain responsibilities and roles and duties, and your child has their own, and we don't cross into each other's autonomies. So as a parent, you decide when, where, and what, when, where, and what the, what is what kind of food you're going to serve. And your child decides if and how much so basically what that means is me my parent you know it's lunchtime I'm gonna start preparing lunch for my kids I'm going to make veggie burgers with sweet potato fries and you know an apple I'm gonna serve it we're gonna sit at the table and my duty is done I am done at that point my child then takes over they tune in are they hungry yeah but not a lot they might have you know a bite or two of the veggie burger, maybe a bite of the sweet potato, and they don't even want the apple. What happens is at that point, the parent is like, hey, you need to eat more of your apple, that's the healthy food, or you didn't eat enough burger, you're barely eating anything today. And they start panicking inside, and then they start encouraging their child to eat more and be like, hey, if you eat your burger, then I actually have cupcakes, you can have a cupcake. And this starts interfering with their natural intuition and it pressures them. And for a lot of kids, it creates a lot of anxiety around food. So then it, be, it gets worse and worse. So the more we pressure our kids to eat more, it actually causes them to eat less fruits and vegetables, which was our goal in the first place. And then the opposite is also true. So say if you have a child that's larger, and you're serving family style, and they go to get that second scoop and you're like, oh, you don't think you, don't you think you had enough? Why don't you just have salad instead? That creates that feeling of scarcity and restriction. And guess what's going to happen? The opposite of what you want, they're going to eat more. They're going to start hiding food, sneaking food, and it, it creates a disbalance. They no longer can trust themselves because they have this feeling of scarcity and restriction. So I think the most important thing is honoring that hunger and satiety, which is the first of the five pillars of healthy eating that I have outlined in my book. And it, like I said before, and I'll say a million times, it takes practice and you're not going to be perfect. And sometimes it's going to slip out and you're going to be like, don't you want another bite? And you're like, Oh, (laughs) you know, so it's really hard to hold back and be like, okay, my role is done. And now my kid needs to take over and they need to decide if, and how much they want to eat. It's possible that there's going to be some meals. They're not hungry at all and they're not going to eat anything and that's okay. Leave it up to your pediatrician to tell you if your child is growing on the appropriate curves. Most of the time, I'd say like 97, 98% of the time they are, and it's not a concern. It's more in the parent's head, mm-hmm. you know, and that anxiety causes them to, to keep encouraging, keep chiming in. And, and it just really gets the kid out of that. Alignment with their body and that starts around five years old. So around five years old We see that kids start to lose that natural intuitive ability to just have a bite or two because mm-hmm. we don't do it as adults, you know, we know we have to like clean our plates and stuff <laughs> So we think our kids need to as well But kids really are smarter until mm-hmm. we start teaching them other ways. hmm Yeah, and that's like
0: very um, actionable and incredibly helpful, like you said, the division of responsibilities. Love that. And you had mentioned the first of five pillars of healthy eating from your book. Do you want to share a little bit about the all of the pillars really quickly? And for those that want to learn more, they can go get your book, which I have a copy of. It's at my apartment
1: in LA, but I'm in Sedona right now. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. So yes, and just to clarify, because we started talking about this a little bit before. Yeah. My goals in designing the five pillars is to help kids decrease their risk of chronic disease, increase longevity, because I think we should all not just be healthy and be happy, but live a long, healthy, happy life. And also decrease the risk of developing eating disorders and promote body confidence. So those were my goals when I wrote these five pillars. So the first one is honor hunger and satiety, which I just talked about. Trust your kid when they're not hungry, trust your kid when they are hungry. Definitely create some structure to that, but really trust them. Okay. Number two is emphasize whole plant foods. Cause you know, that's my bag. And there's lots of research to show that the more whole plant foods we eat, the more we emphasize in our diet, it decreases our risk of chronic disease. And so what are those fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds. Okay. So emphasize those. It doesn't have to be all or nothing, but how can you learn to incorporate that into your lifestyle, in your household, in your meals with your children? Number three is establish a positive environment. Your environment supports your success. So what does that mean? We spend a lot of time at home. So how can you fill your house with health promoting foods so that when you're ready to serve a meal, you have some whole plant foods to serve. But in addition, it also includes a positive environment when it comes to body image and dieting. So this is something we don't often think about, but like I said, you are your kid's role model, but what else do you have in your environment that might be sending messages to your child that they should be thinner? Do you have magazines laying around? Like, I just thought when I was younger, I would subscribe, like before I was even a teenager, I would subscribe to like Shape Magazine and all those When Basically the image is like a thin person in some kind of sports, you know, year. And that would come every month. Like, okay, this is the way to look. This is the way to look. This is the way to look. And so what magazines, what TV shows do you guys watch? What literature is around? and also what words do you speak so this is going back to the conversation we had before if you're constantly saying oh my butt's too big and my thighs are too fat and i hate my cellulite and, uh, you know and you're always having this fat talk that is also your child's environment So learning to manage your thoughts and feelings around that and learning to be kinder and more loving and accepting of yourself is going to help your child so much. So that is establishing a positive environment. Number four is being flexible. And I call this the 80-20 rule. So 80% of the time, strive to eat as health-promoting as possible so that the 20% of time, you can have some fun wiggle room. And I call these play foods because this is what, Um, Evelyn and Elise, the creators of intuitive eating called it. And I love that term because cupcakes and cakes and cookies and all this stuff, they have a place in our lives and it's okay to eat them, but it's okay to tell kids, you know, this is probably not the most health promoting food and that's okay, but it's fun and we want to have them. So if you spend a lot of time at home, ensuring that your child has healthful and health promoting foods you're not gonna be stressed out about the time you go get ice cream or the time you go get donuts. You know, it's it's going to be fine. And then the last one I think is one of the most important ones, and that's relax and have fun. Healthy eating doesn't have to be stressful. Helping your child embody intuitive eating and a positive body image shouldn't be stressful. You're gonna make mistakes. Maybe the first say, because I do it all the time. You're gonna backslide sometimes but just take a deep breath, evaluate where you could improve and try again and just have fun because feeding kids can be really fun. It doesn't have to be this stressful battle at the dinner table. And whenever you start to implement this and trust your child and implement the division of responsibilities, it's going to be so pleasant around the dinner table and you're just going to really enjoy it. And it's going to reinforce those habits that you've instilled in your family.
0: Mm, Love that. So much value in there. Thank you so much for going into those five pillars. Love them. I have a question for you. So I have a a girlfriend. She has two kids and she's noticing that one of her children is eating a lot of sugar, eating a lot of like candies and chocolates and like, like she'll buy it. And then the same day, the whole bag is gone. She's panicking a little bit. She's worried about her health she also has a little fear of of her child experiencing fat phobia like being bullied and stuff like that she's also heard her child make remarks about her body about feeling bad that she's heavier and that she's bigger
1: what advice would you give them so this is so common and i hear this amongst my friends too and whenever i hear something like that i hear that a child is having an excess amount of something, or what seems like it might be an excess amount of something, it makes me think that there might be some restriction there. Whether they have a restriction mentality, or the mom has started vocalizing things and saying, hey, you know, you're eating too much of that, and I'm worried about this, and I'm worried about that, those little comments can create restriction, and then when your child gets access to those foods, they tend to go overboard because they have that scarcity feeling inside of them. So one of the things that I've played around with that's worked really well for me is a play food drawer. And this may not work for everybody, but it is something that I've started to talk to some families about. So what it means is if there's a certain food that you feel your child struggles with that once they get it, like it's all gone, regularly providing them with that food might help them shed that feeling of scarcity because it's not going to just be gone. They're going to have access to it. And usually with my kids, I refill the drawer like once a week, depending on once every other week, depending on sometimes I forget, but they don't really need it that much anymore because they've let go of some of these things. And so it becomes less, I guess, essential over time. It's more at the beginning of the journey that it's really important for some children and you have to let go of, this feeling of like, oh, it's going to be gone, you know, in one day. And you just let them know, hey, what, what's the food that you want me to put there? And I'm going to refill it every week. And they know that it's coming. They know that it's theirs. They know that nobody else is going to eat that. That's another thing too. I feel like some families, especially if there's a lot of kids, some kids may develop a feeling of scarcity because the food that they want gets taken so quickly. And they feel like they're not going to get any. So then when they do get it, they just like want to eat all of it. So knowing that it's their protected amount of food and they're going to have it a regular amount every week will probably help start to calm down that nervous system. And then the other thing is whenever I do see moms that are feeling anxious about the weight thing and, and worrying about whether the child's going to be bullied or have a have problems, then they probably should seek help for themselves. So working with a coach or working with a therapist, because the anxiety is real. I know. Cause I've lived that anxiety. The anxiety is real. And when you feel that anxiety, you immediately start to control or want to control. And the more you start to control the bigger the problem becomes. And I've experienced this in my own family. So I was the one that had to make the decision, hey, the, my actions, my behaviors around this actually seems to be making everything worse. So you have to take a deep breath. You have to let go of the outcome. Because the truth is we're, we cannot control our children, what they become and what happens to them. So I know as parents, we wanna protect them from everything. And we just want everything to be easy for them and then have this pleasant life. But if we just let go of that and do the best we can, it's gonna calm our anxiety and help us be less controlling so that we don't make the problem worse. So, definitely, I think a lot of us could benefit from speaking to a coach or a therapist about some of these things so that we can relax a little bit around it. And then, usually, that'll help things calm down. And then you'll see that that problem it won't be there anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're struggling yourself, having those fears, getting a coach, so like working with like a health at every size type of coach or intuitive eating coach or body image coach for yourself, like as the parent, try the play food drawer, Mm -hmm. see if that helps like with the child trust that it's going to be there. They're going to have access to it. They don't have to eat it all at once. What would you say to a parent who notices that their child is already struggling with their body image?
1: Well, it de- definitely depends on the age, but I would also work with a coach for yourself because I feel like whenever we ourselves learn these strategies, we can pass them on to our children. But if you can find a supportive pediatrician that knows more about this, that can help as well. Um, but yeah, it starts, especially in girls, it starts so early. By the time they're five and six, they already know what the meaning of a diet is and what the purpose is, and they start really paying attention to the size of their body. So it does start early and there's a lot of little girls out there that are going to struggle with this. So the more prepared we are that we can reassure them. And like I said before, with the establishing a positive environment, if you have things laying around that are constantly reminding them that they're not the size typically sized or even if they are but they think they aren't having those things out of the house is going to help so that they can focus on other things their mind can be occupied by other things
0: mm-hmm. yeah and i'm thinking also just now like of really reminding them um we had talked about this i think in our interview of like comments like you're so cute you're so pretty like it reinforces um it reinforces the appearance and the emphasis emphasis on your appearance if you make comments on appearance I'm also curious, like if reminding them that you love them no matter what, or you love them for who they are, like those are things that you would recommend parents. I'm assuming parents say those things
1: anyways, but. Yeah, definitely. I think that we get into the habit of commenting on a parent. And I actually had a little nine-year-old that was starting to restrict food. She's naturally very lean, but she was being complimented on that leanness a lot. And then she started getting scared that she wasn't always going to be lean. And of course, she's going to go through puberty eventually and she's going to put on body fat, which is normal. And that's the time when a lot of girls start dieting, even though their bodies are, you know, the typical size for them that they're developing appropriately. It's really difficult to change that habit. But whenever you find yourself commenting on appearance, change it to something different or don't say anything at all. Um, Now, I was going to say something. Based on the last thing you said. Oh yes, and then emphasizing their abilities rather than their appearance that helps too, and that's that can just become a new habit. Like you know, I love how persistent you are. I love what a hard worker you are. I love how kind you are. You know, instead of you're so cute, and you know, and we want to tell that to our kids because they're super duper cute. And so I don't think it's wrong all the time, but when it becomes uh, a big habit and something where you're specifically commenting on parts or sizes of their bodies, then even if you're saying it in a positive way, it can backfire on you. So just be very cautious. And like I said, these are all habits that are passed down to us. So we don't think we're, you know, I'm not calling out parents for them to feel guilty or ashamed about these things. It's, it's just now things that we're starting to learn. And so that's why I'm spreading the message. Just do the best you can and just start of paying attention to some of the ways that we kind of get looped into this thin ideal.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That was my story. Just like this nine-year-old too many compliments on how thin and tall I was. It just Mm -hmm. made me so fixated on it. So yeah, Mm -hmm. super helpful. And like you said, there's no shame. There's no judgment, not calling anyone out. I think you're providing a resource and you're educating and you're just trying to help people in their journey of parenting, which is so challenging as it is. So Yeah. I'm glad that you're bringing this to the conversation. So we are approaching on our hour here. So I'd love to kind of shift gears into some of the like fun questions to wrap things up. So first one, you're on a deserted Island. You get to bring one movie, one TV show, one food or meal, um, one book and one genre of music. What are you bringing? Oh my
1: gosh. Oh, man, this is gonna be so hard. Um, And I'm by myself. Like, I'm not going to be with anybody else.
0: Yes, you are solo sister.
1: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. Wow, this is this is really difficult. Okay, so for food, one meal. I think I'm just gonna go with the tried and true because I can eat it every single meal, which is going to be my pressure cooked garbanzo beans. Can I take my instant pot or is sure, it just magically sure. appear? <laughs> so my, my, delicious.
0: maybe the next I should add kitchen equipment <laughs> item and you kitchen can bring appliance. one kitchen appliance.
1: Oh, gosh. Okay. So my pressure cooked garbanzo beans with brown rice, greens, and a cashew cheesy sauce. I can eat that all day. So Every day. So, I guess if I'm just going to eat that for the rest of my deserted island life, that's what it's going to be. As far as one book, man, that's really hard. There's so many wonderful books, but I probably will still be wanting to work on my personal development in case I get rescued and go back out into society. So, I would say just a really impactful book is The Four Agreements. So Mm. take the four agreements and I'll just memorize it. And by the time I'm rescued, I'm going to be like Zen, you know? So it's going (laughs) to be great. Um, One TV show, I'm not good at this because I don't really watch TV. Okay, we can skip it, Um, movie. And then movie, I really love Inside Out because I love psychology. And I think that's such a great movie to remind us how it's so important to validate all our feelings, even the ones that we perceive as being negative. So I'm gonna watch that one a lot. <laughs> Those are my choices. <laughs> yeah. And then, genre of music. Oh, genre of music. Mm. Ooh, let's go with EDM. Nice. I can have lots of dance parties. Nice. That has
0: been everybody's response. And I'm like, me too. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's taken over. It's taken over, man. Um, okay. What is something that is currently inspiring you?
1: Well, one of the things that I'm trying to improve on is managing my thoughts and feelings. And I feel like this has revolutionized my life. So listening to Brooke Castillo's podcast, the Life Coach School podcast, but also doing the work by Byron Katie and practicing that. So doing thought models and doing the work and really learning how to manage my, my thoughts and feelings. I feel like that's something that I'm constantly trying to improve at. So those two ladies definitely inspire me.
0: I love them both. I am like a, I, I utilize the work of Byron Katie all the time. Like in my coaching practice in my own life, I've definitely tuned into Brooke Castillo's podcast. Aside from her, she has a lot of shit about weight loss uh, yes, yes, and, and I find that's it very triggering.
1: Yes, yeah, that's important to tune out. But really, just learning how to use the model for other things. Like I obviously am not using it for weight loss, but just, you know, approaching my business and approaching life and parenting and my relationship with my husband. I feel like almost every day I have to do a thought model over that. So (laughs) it's helped me so much, you know, but the work is very similar because she, she based her model off of lots of different people, including Byron Katie. So if you're afraid to, you know, kind of look into Brooke Castillo stuff, then just starting with the Byron Katie stuff is really great and applies to any situation.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm still a fan of Brooke Castillo. I would just love to like have a convo with her about health at every size. I feel like, you know, might rock her paradigm a little bit, but she's, she's fabulous too. I've learned a lot from her, from the model as well. Um, that's so funny that we have that in common by the way, Mm -hmm. but I guess it makes sense. Um, advice for your younger self and you can pick any age you'd like.
1: Uh I think I would go back to right before I I went on that first diet and really I wish I could have intervened at that point and been like, "Hey girl, it's going to be okay. I know that you want to do this and I know that you want to please people with the size of your body and your appearance, but this is going to cause more harm than good." And I wish my younger self would have known more about you know, plant-based nutrition and intuitive eating and, and those kinds of things, but really just encouraging my younger self to learn how to love and accept myself and know that I am worthy and that I am loved no matter what, no matter what accomplishments I have, no matter what size I am or what I do or say that I am always worthy and loved. I think that would have definitely changed the trajectory of my life, but thankfully my life happened the way it did (laughs) because even though it was painful and some parts were so hard and some parts have been just so incredibly low, I've learned from these experiences and that's helped give me so much empathy so that I can love and support other people going through this. And I know exactly like I have so much empathy so much of a respectful understanding of where they are because I've had these experiences. So I don't necessarily regret anything, but I just wish from the beginning, I knew my worth and my lovability sooner than when I was almost, than when I was almost 40 years old, you know?
0: Mm, Yeah. I feel the same way. Like there's so many good things that can't come out of such like that dark experience of disordered eating, body shame eating disorders, you know? And at the same, like it's like, I'm grateful for it, even though it really sucked, you know, like it's why you are who you are right now doing the work that you're doing and why you have such a powerful message for, for parents, you know, um, and just other human beings in general. So Mm -hmm. anyways, Dr. Yami, this has been amazing. Thank you. Any last little things you'd like to share and where can everybody find you? Where can they get your book?
1: The last thing I want to say is that you are an amazing parent. So mm-hmm. just by listening to this podcast because you're interested in learning more about how to help your child or support your child's eating means to me that you are already an amazing parent. Your child thinks you're like everything. They just think you're amazing, you're a rock star. No matter how you feel about yourself, Every single parent has these feelings that they're just not good enough and they're doing it all wrong and they're making too many mistakes. And the truth is, yeah, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but you are amazing. So thank you so much for caring so much about your kids. And then just keep learning, keep growing, try things out. But just know that the most important thing is the love that you have for your child. So thank you so much for that. And then as far as reaching me, I'm a on social media, Instagram and Facebook at The Dr. Yami. And my website, I have two of them, dryami.com, spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com. But also I founded a website a long time ago to support parents and families and healthcare providers wanting to raise plant-based children. And it's called Veggie Fit Kids. So V-E-G-G-I-E f I t k I d s dot com and there's lots of information and links there. I also have a YouTube which is Veggie Doctor TV and I have lots of videos on there including how to choose food at fast food restaurants for you know plant-based eaters and they're super fun um, and recipes and that kind of stuff and then my podcast which you already mentioned which is Veggie Doctor Radio that you can find on all the podcasting platforms. And then your book. And my book, yes, which is entitled A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, which you can get uh all online major booksellers and it's available in paperback in ebook and hopefully any day now on audiobook. So I'm waiting for that to be finalized, but I did narrate it myself. So you can hear my voice for about seven hours.
0: (laughs) I was going to ask you, I was like, did you narrate it yourself? That's so awesome. That's so awesome. I'm listening to Michelle Obama's book becoming, and I'm like, I love that she narrated it herself. (laughs) I love
1: it when authors narrate their own books. I think that's so special, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here, Dr. Yami.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I had such a blast.
0: Yay. And that is our show today. If this was helpful for you, if you got a lot out of it, the most helpful thing you can do in return is either send it to a friend who would benefit from it who wants to know more about Raising Intuitive Eaters, leaving a ratings and review on iTunes, sharing it in your Instagram stories and tagging me at Kara's Kitchen, Kara with a C, Kitchen with the K. Or shouting it out on any other social media platform like Facebook or Twitter. I read all of the reviews. And I'm always so grateful when you guys show the podcast some love. So thank you again for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod. And we'll see you all next week.